The Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, episode 491 for Sunday, March 2nd, 2014. Greetings, folks, and welcome. To the Mac Observer's Mac Geek Gab, the show. Are you sending questions? We answer your questions. You send in tips. We share your tips. We share some tips of our own. Occasionally, we share some cool stuff found. And when we do, you know it. And uh, together, we all try to learn new stuff every week when we come together. This episode is sponsored by Smile, makers of Text Expander and PDF Pen and Disk Label at smilesoftware.com. And by Avatron, the makers of Air Display. And now every disc, which we'll tell you about a little bit later at avatron.com slash MGG here in Durham, New Hampshire. I'm Dave Hamilton here in Trueville, Connecticut. John F. Braun. How are you doing today? John F. Braun. Doing great. Just uh, getting ready to wrestle with Titan. Yeah, you're going to get that. <laughs> you're you're among the, uh, the you're in the storm path there today, aren't you? I don't know why they keep giving them these imposing names. You know, like, what did we have a while ago? Hercules? Why don't they give it something, you know, like like Tinkerbell or <laughs> Titan? I mean, it just sounds so scary. <laughs> yeah. Well, it's not scary for us here. We just get to watch it happen. It was supposed to hit us, but things course corrected appropriately. So we don't uh, we don't have to get any snow up here tonight, which is good. I like the snow. I've had enough of it. Uh, this year it just got when we had that snow like every two hours for a week that was a little much but uh but being in, in down in southern florida last week helped thaw me out which i liked so that was good all right yeah um let, let's get right into it joe asks i have a work shared 13 inch macbook pro running lion my problem is that the guy that set up the itunes account when they bought the laptop has been fired we can't recover the password to do any updates. The computer con consistently defaults and asks for that original account's credentials, even though we've tried to create additional user accounts in iTunes. We either need to make this legacy account go away forever or change the super user. He says, well, a nuke and pave of the entire machine accomplished this. There is a lot of other cruft like junk we could be without, too. Joe, I'm not sure what uh, exactly you're talking about, but I think... You're talking about the account that was used to um, install things like iLife and all of that, the Mac App Store account, which, of course, is also an iTunes account. And when applications are installed, much like when they're installed on the iPhone, uh, when they're installed on the Mac, they are attached to an account. So when it's time to update or do anything to that, you have to authenticate as that account to have access to run that app, be it on iOS or, or on the Mac. So... Uh, yeah, the, the, without knowing the password, you obviously can't, uh, I'm guessing based on your email that you don't have access to the email address that's associated with this password because it uh, is with the guy who is no longer with the company. If that's the case, I, the best thing to do is to just delete those copies of the apps and reinstall apps from a user account that you do have access to. Um, it, it, I, 
Uh, we'll put a link in the show notes to how to reset the password if, uh, if in fact, you do have access to some of the required information. But, um, but otherwise, I, I mean, I think that that's the answer is install using an account that you know about. It, it, there, there's, of course, a bigger philosophical issue that the guy that did this should have assigned the account, the account to the company and not to himself and blah, blah, blah. But here's the boat that you're in. Here's how you get out of it. So there you go. John, any thoughts? Hello? Yeah. Um, I don't have anything to add. No, it's unfortunate that, uh, I mean, you know, it, it, when I've been through processes where, uh, you know, you leave for whatever reason, yeah. typically, you know, as a professional, you provide the passwords. You get, it sounds like you got some oatmeal stuck in your throat there, John. Maybe a little, I don't uh, know what I got. To, no, I saw, uh, just had a swig of water there. Okay. okay. No, I mean, typically what I've seen is you, you know, that's, that's kind of your... Uh, you know, part of the uh, uh, separation process is, oh, by the way, here's, here's all the passwords. I don't know if they tried to ask the person. He may, you know, be rather upset at being bitter. Like, oh, and may not offer that. Sure. Yeah. Uh, it Brian Monroe, and I'll say hello to everybody in the chat room uh, at MacGeekab.com slash stream. Thank you for joining us today. Uh, Brian Monroe in the chat room says uh, that does not always work he says i've had to deal with this before and normally a nuke and pave is the answer and i my guess is that if you want this to never pester you again that is in fact exactly the uh the answer so thank you brian that's uh that to me is why we uh well there's a lot of reasons we do the chat room but uh but those real-time answers and real-time uh insights are a big part of it of the hive mind of Mac Geekab. John, you want to take us on to Felix? Well, I'd also mention here. So uh, what I also saw in the chat room before we move on here is that uh, you, you may be able to find the password and maybe even change it in a keychain access. That's always a fun place to look for uh, passwords. Oh, that's a good idea. Yeah. Because if in fact you had this, well, if it was only used for applications, you wouldn't necessarily have this password in the keychain. But if there was an email account associated with it or something like that, that would be great. Yeah, because you could find that in keychain access and then and then change the account. It, it, the issue is if the email address associated with it is pointing to someone else, uh, they can also always reset that account. So you may you may wind up in a little bit of a battle, but that would be a short term fix. Yes. Yeah. All right. All right. Uh, on to Felix. So Felix right, writes, hey, guys, every time I try to buy an app, I get this error. And he sent a screenshot. And the error is, oh, spanning two pages, unable to purchase. Um, oh, that's a funny device name. <laughs> uh, but it basically says, could not be purchased at this time. Please try again later. Um, Google searches revealed that other people had this problem too, and they found workarounds for it, like changing the keyboard language and, and back somehow fixes it, but only temporarily. I'm pretty certain that it has something to do with the fact that it is a phone which was restored from backup, replaced by Best Buy protection plan. Do you guys have any ideas what it might be? I've never and seen this I, error before, John, but uh, but but clearly it, it can be an issue. So, yeah, go ahead. Well, um, so I did a search here, Dave. And so, so I think there may be two ways to solve this problem here. So I, I think that the core of the issue um, and I think he, he 
leans towards this is um is that it's a corrupt data database file somewhere on the phone buried deep within the phone and i think one way is that you could well it sounds like they already did this they were stored from a backup so maybe the backup is corrupt i think that's the problem here yep so did a little surfing and uh and i think the problem dave is that there is a database file um stored on your iDevice uh, called downloads dot something, usually a number, dot SQLiteDB, which is, uh, you know, if you can't guess from that, that's a, a SQLite database database file. And apparently what happens is that if this file gets corrupt, you will get this error. Um, so I'll link to this article that this, uh, this chap, uh, uh, Gle- Glef, <laughs> and let me see Jeff I'm sorry Jeff so he basically went through the process here and it involves uh, getting your favorite uh, eye device scanning utility or, or uh, browsing utility in this case I guess he uh, chose eye explorer though I think you could use um, any other utilities we, we've touched on some of these in the past here so you basically run that program then find this database file and then I think his suggestion is to rename it and then if you rename it to something like downloads.numbernumbernumber.sqlite.db.old and then restart your device, it will regenerate this file. And then you're good. That works. Yeah. Yeah. So it's definitely geeky. But but yeah, I think the, 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 the problem was the restore restored the bogus, <laughs> the corrupted file. Yeah. So that's why it keeps happening. Yep. Yep. All right. Well, I'll buy it. Good stuff. Two app store issues, hopefully two solutions. And uh, I like that one. That's a that's a handy one that I, I didn't realize that iExplore could actually go and pull those kind of files directly off the device. That's that's actually handy. May come in handy later in the show. But uh, what certainly comes in handy right now, especially for those of us recording the show and in the chat room helping out is the software from our first sponsor, which is Smile. And at smilesoftware.com, you can find out more about Text Expander. Text Expander is, it truly is one of those utilities that if I don't have it on a Mac I'm running, I feel naked. Uh, it is, I, I, I just don't, I can't even function without this thing. What Text Expander does is it allows you to take snippets or very long pieces. It doesn't have to be short, but any amount of text and uh, that you're going to use repetitively and store it inside uh, um, your Mac. And then you have a small keystroke that you also assign to invoke or or uh, replace this text. So you type a very small keystroke like for me. Uh, I have one and it is it's a it's pretty short, but I have my address, which includes, you know, TMO and and uh, my phone number and all that stuff, because I constantly have to give this out to people. And uh, I type comma D-H-A-D-D and boom, it puts my address, me being Dave Hamilton, ADD for address. I also have JB ADD in there, John, so that when people ask me for your address, I can just give it to them. Not only does it save me time, but it saves me from human error because I might like confuse your address. I don't know if you're 388 or 338 and I can't remember. Well, it doesn't matter. I don't have to. I don't have to look it up because it's right there. I just type JB ADD and boom. Out it comes. But you can also, like I said, have paragraphs and paragraphs of text. Let's say you do support for a living. 
uh, be it on a Mac or, or you know, or, you know, supporting a Mac or, or maybe you're supporting uh, financial customers. I don't know. But you put in your canned responses and then boom, you just put it out there. But it gets even better than that because you can set up text expander to insert things like the contents of the clipboard. Let's say you want to say, hey, visit this link. I think it'll solve your problem. Well, you go to in order to do that, you've got to go to your browser, copy the link to the clipboard, go back to the email and then type, hey, visit this link, colon, space, paste, comma, you know, but but make sure you don't put a comma right next to the link because then the link gets broken in some email clients and you have to type the rest of that text. Well, with Text Expander, you can go to the browser, copy the link and then go back to your email and type your little uh, your little shortcut, which might be uh comma ls for link share i don't know whatever whatever you want to use whatever you'll remember and then boom it writes out all that tech text with the link from the clipboard pasted in the middle what if you have multiple bits of information you want to put in well text expander lets you do that too you can have it ask you when you type say comma link it could say uh it could it could have the whole email reply it could say hey Dave, because it knows who you're replying to, then it pastes the link in. And then it also maybe uh, has a little um, in the form. You can actually have a little place where you can write in. It pops up this form and you just write in maybe another bit of text that you want to add to this. And then boom, off it goes. All one bit of text when it's finished, you get to build it the way you want. So uh, that's text expander. Really great stuff. And uh, and and they they sync with iOS and there's a ton of apps on iOS that support text expander, uh, fantastical elements and snippets can be synced with, uh, with Dropbox. If you want text expander also has Apple script support. And, uh, Brett Terpstra did a great blog post, uh, talking about automating the dynamic date math in text expander. And we'll put a link in the show notes to that too, because it's pretty cool stuff. So if you haven't checked out Text Expander, go check it out. Go to smilesoftware.com. Uh, you can download a free trial. And I guarantee you, if you're using it, you will keep it and you will buy it. So, uh, But you can test it out for free. So go, go. Smilesoftware.com, Text Expander. And uh, tell them we sent you because they're good folks over there. They've been, uh, they've been sponsors here at Mac Geekup for a long time. And we really, really do appreciate it. So, All right, John. So uh, I followed this advice in the next uh, in the next little tip from from Matt here. I did it at the wrong time. Well, better than we'll we'll explain the advice, then we'll explain the story. Matt says, uh, I have used Memory Keeper before and it works to free up memory, just like you guys have said. He says it, however, cannot clean memory used by the kernel, all the disk buffers. He says, however, you can do that yourself from the command line. The command to type is sudo purge, S-U-D-O space P-U-R-G-E. Purge is the command. It has to be run as super user, which is why you do S-U-Do, meaning you're going um, gonna to run as the super user. Actually, S-U-Do, I believe, is set user do, but it defaults to the super user. So S-U-D-O space purge. And, uh, and this command, I did it on my Mac here. I was down to, uh, I don't know, about 500 megs free. I ran... Uh, purge and it got me up to about a gig and a half free. However, my machine was mostly unresponsive for about 15 seconds while this happened. 
And it uh, it totally fubarred our Skype connection, John. So thankfully, I did it pre-show when we were going through, and I didn't think to do it during the show while we were recording. So expect that this is going to do uh, some heavy-duty purging of your uh, of your RAM and of your disk buffers. So it's going to be doing a lot of writing to the disk and uh, and a lot of freeing up of things. But that that will pause your machine for you know ten to thirty seconds. It's not a huge deal, but it is if say you're recording a podcast. But good stuff. Thoughts on that, John? I just tried it and it didn't accomplish anything. Well, I tried it on my MacBook, not on. Of course, I'm you're smarter than that, on. right? Yeah. And my kernel task is still at a two point one eight gigabytes. I didn't look and see if my kernel task changed. Uh, that that that's a misleading number in Mavericks, of course, as we've discussed, because it includes all that compressed RAM and everything. But um, how how did your did your free memory change? Because that's what I saw was my free memory uh, raised by a little about bit. A gig. Yeah. Right now it shows uh, which I'm very happy with. Yeah. So, uh, you know, thanks to our uh, friend memory keeper there. Uh, right now I got one point eight gigs free. Which, OK. OK. Uh, on my on my six gig machine. That is uh, that that was not the case running uh, running under Mavericks. Right. Memory keeper. Yeah. So, no, it's good. That's good. All right. So speaking of purging, we have. Uh, well, I think I think we have a question that yeah, might get us there. Hey, John. Hey, Dave. JP from L.A. Quickly. Uh, is there a secret way to delete all of my iMessages and iChats on my computers and my iPhones and iPads? They all, of course, show the same thing. I delete all of them in one I open my laptop. They're all in there again, and I have to go through and systematically delete them one by one. There's not even a delete all feature. I wonder if I'm missing something or you knew about it. And, you know, it stands to reason you delete the chats uh, in your in one device. You would hope they would sync and delete in another device, but it's not the case. And I'm so tired of having to delete hundreds of chat strings Every time I open, you know, my another device, of which I now have four. Just wondering, it'd be awesome if they had that, and if you knew how to do it. Like you, please cut me off. We will cut you off. John, you want to take this one? This is a question that has come up time and time again, especially over the last six months. So hopefully today we will offer an answer, and then we've got uh, we've got listener Jack here that offers up uh, perhaps even a better answer uh, or a, a, a more in-depth answer. But John, go ahead. Let's take this one. Let's see what we can offer. And then we'll let Jack kind of back clean up on us. Here. Did I hear birds tweeting in the background? That was really, it actually sounded great, didn't it? Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> good, good audio. It, it's sort of, yeah, it sort of, it sort of mellowed me out there while I was listening to his comment. <laughs> all right. All right. So I poked around on messages because um, I think we all have this issue here. And so I found a few things that may not be entirely obvious. Um, I don't know if I would say the UI on messages sucks, um, or maybe I would. But <laughs> so messages on OS X, uh, it looks like your options are you can either shift click on multiple messages to select them, and then you can right click and say delete. So that's one way. What didn't work, which kind of aggravated me, Dave, is I thought, well, how about if I click on a window and say select all and then try to delete? Would that work? And Kind of instinctually, I would think it would, but that's not the right way to do it. No. The only way I found is, well, two ways. So that's one. The one I just mentioned is shift click. 
uh, to select multiple messages, then right click or control click and say delete. But what may be quicker is that if they're all from one person, then I think what you can do is you can right click. Uh, so, so the individual that you exchange the messages with will be in the uh, sidebar on the left. So if you right click on that, you will then get a delete conversation option and that will clobber all of the messages from that person. So that's probably a quicker way to go about it. If your goal is to you know, not be selective, then that'll whack them all. Um, another, another way to do that, John, I think I'm going to go. look, is, yeah, it, it, if you are in the top level of the messages list where on, on iOS. Are we talking about iOS or the Mac? Sorry. We're uh, ta- you're talking about the Mac. I'm getting ahead of things. I'm initially talking about the Mac, though yeah. I will... Though, though I will talk about iOS. Uh, yeah, 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 yeah. Okay, so yeah, sorry, go so ahead. Don't, don't steal my thunder. No, nope, no, nope, sorry, go ahead. <laughs> go ahead. Well, on iOS, it's definitely less obvious. So what happens is that on iOS, if you click and hold on a message, you will then see more dot, dot, dot. Wait, there's more. It's so exciting. And then when you select, when you click on more, Dave, one of the options you see will be delete all. At the uh, uh, on the top left of the screen, so it's kind of in a weird place. Uh, now I have yeah. now I have my comment to make because it it can be easier than that. If you go, if you want to delete all the messages from any given person, you mm-hmm. can do that from the top level of messages. Uh, find okay. the find the person, grab their message, and instead of tapping on it to go or grab their 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 name and swipe to the left. And you will see a delete option appear, and that will delete all messages from that person. Oh, all right. Yeah. So it's in multiple places on iOS. Yeah, that's okay, great. That's neat. I, yeah. I just learned something. Uh, it's great. Yeah. Now, the bad news is that, yeah, as far as I can tell, and I think his, his fish shake is uh, it does not sync across devices. So even though the messages do, the deletion process does not, unless I'm missing something. Yes, that's correct. That's correct. Mm. Yeah. Yeah, I don't know if you can change that. I mean, it would kind of make sense that if you sync it across devices, the deletion would sync across devices. But it, it you doesn't. know, what's interesting is that it doesn't actually sync across devices. Um, I mean, it appears that way, and and it certainly uh, right right no. the UI is that way. But but um, this is probably a good time to mention uh, some information that came to light this week about how iMessage works. And I, we've touched on this in the past, but it, it, it seems like it, it had gotten lost in the, in the conversation. When you send an iMessage to me, what, what happens is you're actually encrypting that message on your end for each and every one of my devices individually and then sending that message across. And you're also encrypting it for your devices so that when your Mac sees it or your iPhone or your iPad sees it, that your messages appear there. And so you get this, this approximation of it being synced, but, uh, but the data never is unencrypted um, in transit. It uh, and never, and it goes, it definitely goes through Apple servers, but it's not in a format that they can read because it's encrypted with my key for my individual device. When you connect to uh, iMessage on any of your devices, each device creates a public and private key pair, just like we talked about with S mime and all of that stuff. And it keeps the private key locally and then shares the public key with the iMessage repository uh, 
or a key server rather at Apple. And then when you go to send a message to me, and sometimes you'll see this little lag happen where uh, it takes a minute to become iMessage. Well, part of what's happening there is it's looking me up on the server. But the other part is that it's downloading my public keys to your device so that you can encrypt for me, which is interesting. So iMessage is actually pretty secure in that sense. But it but it does create a weird scenario where if you want the deletes to sync, uh, that's not really a part of the the whole deal. So, and Dave, one last thing. Yes, actually, I was entertaining this solution, so, so I'll mention it. But uh, you know, be careful. Yep. Um, but the thing is, they're also stored. And actually, I found this. I was reluctant to message it, but since uh, uh, Chris in our chat room mentioned it, I thought I'd mention it. But be yeah. careful. Yeah, because it, it invokes a very dangerous command. <laughs> so his suggestion. So, so the thing is, these are also stored, at least on, on a, your computer, Dave. Uh, the messages are stored in your home directory slash library slash me, slash messages slash. And then there are a number of files that begin with the word chat dot. So what you could do is say, and this is why I say, be careful. You could do RM, which is remove space dash R, which is recursive space tilde slash library slash slash messages slash chat dot star. We'll put that command in the show notes so you don't have to remember it. Be very careful because if you do an RM space dash R and you screw it up, that will recursively delete everything from the point that you start at. So be very careful if you're going to do this. Like, for example, if you miss the uh, tilde there, your your system's going to be in a world of hurt. (laughs) <laughs> well, yeah, I don't think you, I don't think there is a library messages folder on the root of your hard drive, so you'd probably be OK. But but yes, it's worth being careful. We'll make sure the right command is in the show notes. So all you can do, all you need to do is copy and paste it. Actually, in my, in my case, my preference, Dave, would be to actually go to that directory. So I would go mm. to the terminal and CD to library messages and then get rid of the files there. You could even do it. You could even do it in the finder. And oh then, sure, if, and you, then, if you navigate to that directory, yes, yeah, yeah. that's that's another good option. Yeah. So a number of ways to do it, but yeah, yep. always be careful with RM space dash R. And and that's actually the way to delete all of those messages and mass on your Mac. It's the only way that I know of to do that. Uh, but what about iOS? You ask, can I delete all my messages? I, well, that's what Jack's here for, isn't it? Yeah, this is in regards to episode 490, I believe it was. And uh, you talked about uh, getting the pictures deleted off your daughter's iPad, or Dave talked about deleting the pictures off his daughter's iPad. And he said he wished there was a way that uh, you could also delete all the SMS or text messages that are automatically saved in iOS. And I noticed a while back, I was looking at my iTunes when I had my... um, when I had my phone plugged in, and there's this large section of what they call other in yellow. It doesn't really give you a clear breakdown of what it is, but that's exactly what the other is, is um, uh, all those pictures and attachments in your SMS messages. So the simple way, well, there's really no simple way to delete all that, but I found a workaround, and I found something that works for me, and I managed to free up 2.4 gigs of space on my uh, iPhone. So what you do is you go to icopybot.com, I-C-O-P-Y-B-O-T.com, and you download an application called iBackupBot. 
and it's absolutely free. And what you do is, or what this application allows you to do, is to make a backup, or it allows you to go into the backup that you've already made on your phone. So you can go into your iTunes, connect your phone, make a backup, and then you launch iBackupBot. And what it will let you do is um, open that backup that you made and edit it. And in that, you're going to find folders and subfolders. And what I did, I sent you an email with an included link to a video that I've done on YouTube. Uh, I'm a computer technician, by the way. And... Uh, so I, I included the link to my video. It goes through a little tutorial describing how to use this and what folders to actually dive into. But what you will see is every message that you have ever sent since you have uh, been running uh, your your iDevice or your iThing. And what you can do is simply delete all this and then reattach your phone and then restore from that backup, and you have freed up all that space. So as I mentioned, I managed to free up 2.4 gigabytes on my 16 gig iPhone 4S. Um, so it's, it's a great little tool, uh, something that most people don't know about. Uh, and, and Apple doesn't make it real easy or real clear how to delete these things. Actually, I don't think Apple even provides a way of doing that. But um, anyway, I just figured that might help someone out. And the name of the application, again, is iBackupBot. And you can find that is at icopybot.com. And uh, like I said, I do have a tutorial video. Uh, my website is www.mcleanscomputerrepair.com. And uh, I hope this helps somebody. Thanks. Bye. Thanks, Jack. That's great. We'll put that link to that YouTube video in the show notes. That's uh, that's awesome. Thanks for putting that together. And that that will solve it. It It's interesting, right? It's a, uh, as we were talking about, in the pre-show, John, you said it's a different UI and it is, it's, it's a little bit cumbersome because you have to first shoot the backup, then edit the backup, then restore the backup to the phone. But, uh, but it does allow you a way of deleting all these messages and mass without having to wipe the phone and not have any of your data back. So yeah. yeah, it would be nice if Apple offered a, you know, just a simple button, but Hey, that's not how they roll. That's right. Let's hope. What do you got, John? Yeah. Well, they've, they've taken our suggestion for improvements in OS 10 and iOS in the past, right? Uh, at times. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we try not to abuse, you know, the, uh, you know, privilege of having the red phone that goes right. to. Uh, <laughs> That's right. Uh, Johnny and, and Tim and all them. So <laughs> <laughs> wouldn't that be great? Okay. That would be great. Here we go. All right. So Pat, am I going to Pat? Yeah, go ahead. All right, so Pat writes, something is dropping my Wi-Fi network on and off. Sometimes I will be streaming an iTunes video and the screen will just go black. Is there software that will help me to figure out whether it is my DSL modem dropping the internet or my Apple router failing? It seems that though it's my DSL because I have hardwired my Apple TV to my router. So is there software that tracks my connection to the internet with the DSL modem? My ISP, of course, says that it's not their issue. Of course. <laughs> so we had an exchange here. So one thing I suggested was um, many devices uh, have an IP address that will give you the status of the device. So in my case, I have a uh, Aris cable modem. And uh, this is pretty much standard across at least Doxis cable modems. But you can go to your browser and you can go to 192.168.100.1. 
Um, some people, some uh, ISPs block this. Some will allow some information. At least in my case, if I bring up that page, it'll show the status of the modem. And if it says operational, then I trust that. Uh, the, to me, that at least for this model, that means that the connection uh, to the internet, uh, as far as the modem is concerned, is okay. Now, I've seen other messages. I disagree. Um, okay. Well, I I wouldn't assume that operational means that your connection is of good quality. All right. Let let, let me uh, a bit more detail. So this particular modem, when my cable connection is down, so number one, uh, all the lights that are green on it start flashing yellow and stuff like that. But also, if I do go to the status page, it will give me a message such as ranging uh, in progress. This the. It'll indicate that the connection is broken. All right, let so, me let me let me take over. Operation. Here. Hang on, hang on, because we're we're going in the wrong direction. I don't I don't want to. Um, it, it, you're you're right. If the modem is completely offline, it will give you that something other than the the connection is good, right? But if the modem is online, it is possible to have a weak connection. And the modem will say that everything is good, mm-hmm. and it won't do the flashing and ranging. But you won't get data passing. And and that's where if your your power levels are almost within spec, but not quite within spec. And that that could very well be happening to Pat here. So, it you know, the the uh, in, in short downstream power levels, which you should see on this on this Doxis screen should be between negative 10 and positive 10. Uh, anything outside that range starts to get to the fringes. And then upstream power levels should be really lower than 45 uh, dBmV. Anything up to 50 is in theory okay. But again, as you get to the edges, the quality of your cable modem uh, can can impact that. So check those because that might be the issue. And if that's the issue, then it is your cable company's problem. They can help you solve that by removing splitters and um, and getting you a, a stronger signal. Right. So does yeah. that apply to DSL? Uh, no. Is he on DSL? Uh, he or she? We're not sure, right? Okay. Yeah. Right. 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 Yeah. Were Were you paying attention when I said DSL? No, <laughs> but you were talking about a Doxis screen, and DSL modems don't have Doxis screens. Cable modems do. Doxis is a cable right. modem standard. So if we're going to this screen, we're talking about cable modems. Right. But DSL modems also have a screen. So I basically suggested that. So let me continue with the conversation. Okay. Okay. Go ahead. Yeah. Because Doxis Doxis won't work with it. Doxis is not a a DSL thing. Data data over cable service interface specification. What I was doing was providing an example as guidance so that Pat could find it for uh, Pat's device. And based on my guidance, uh, Pat did find it. Okay, okay, good. I was just giving an example. I, okay, I totally understand that Doxis and DSL are separate technologies. Okay, got it. So, um, and Pat wrote back and said, I found the statistics page for my Netgear modem, but it's not exactly giving me what I want. I would have to sit and watch it 24-7 to see if it ever drops the connection. There must be another way. So, there is, Dave. I think this is what, what, what would need to be done. All right, so it offers some sort of status and logs and, and, and stuff like that, but... Um, so then the issue here changed from how can I tell what my modem sees and if it, it, it's potentially uh, experiencing an issue to how do I get a notification when bad things happen? So one thing 
Um, so one thing you could do is to see if the device offers a, a, a log. Mine does, and, mm. and the, depending on the device, it may have a log of unusual events that occurred, or it may not. It, it, it's totally up to your ISP whether they let you view that. Again, as an example, in my case, I can view an event log for my modem, and uh, it shows these things. Typically, it's like, you know, ranging response not received. And whenever I've seen that message, um, that's when my connection has been down. So um, so check the log, and, and you may see if it's struggling with the connection uh, or not. Uh, as for the issue of receiving a notification when there are network issues... Um, one thing you could do if you're running an airport, Dave, is you can, uh, or everybody, <laughs> if you run airport utility, then you go to preferences. You can choose monitor airport base stations for problems. And this will open network utility when there's an issue. So that's one thing you could do. And I've had that happen too, Dave, is, uh, uh typically when my, you know, there's a little program that's run on the computer that, that I think talks to the airport. And when the airport has a problem, it'll come up and run it and say something's wrong. Like typically I'll get a message saying up oh, double NAT and uh, I can't reach the DNS. So that's one thing if you have an airport is that it can alert you when, it, when it's having a problem on the network. At that point, then you can, you know, try to do some more digging and see if it's your airport or your, uh, you know, the device that you're using to connect to the network. Uh, now you could... Apple also run, has a utility that can help you isolate this uh, is you can run network diagnostics. And the way you get to that is, uh, and that can sometimes help it help you isolate whether it's your local network or your ISP and that you access by running system preferences. Then you go to network and then you go to assist me. And then there's diagnostics that runs a Apple diagnostics program that'll lead you through the process of, you know, power cycling things and, and checking things to, to try to isolate where the problem is. Sometimes it gets it right. Sometimes it doesn't. Right. I, I don't yeah. know if you've, you've run it as of late. Yeah. An- um, yeah, I, 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 what's the best way to say this? It doesn't, it doesn't give me enough of the details of, of the information that it's trying to get to allow me to troubleshoot. I'd I'd rather use specific tools like ping or trace route or, or something like that to see exactly what's going on with the connection. I, I've, I've, I don't know that I've ever had that, that, you know, wizard kind of tell me, yeah, you have a problem and here's how to fix it. Other than the double nap thing that happens. Mm hmm. Yeah, and again, whenever I've had that come up, when I run upstairs, I'll see that all the lights are flashing on my modem, and it's trying to grab another connection. Got it. Yeah. Now, here's another way you can get notifications if you don't have an airport. This is one of my favorite tools, and and I think Pat wrote back saying uh, they're going to try this. You could also run something like Growl and use their hardware Growler component. One of the things that it can do, Dave, is it can detect certain conditions, like when either your Wi-Fi or your wired network connection goes away or goes down. Uh, it can not only display a notification, which is what I typically have done on my computers, but it can also send you a notification via email, uh, SMS. Of course, if your connection's down, then that probably won't work. <laughs> but it can also send notifications to other computers on your network. So my suggestion was, you know, set it up on one machine. If it, did, it you know, uh, if it detects there's a problem, you can say, uh, tell this other computer on the network, send a notification to it, letting me know that there's problems with the network. 
So that that is meeting Pat's requirement that I don't want to sit there 24-7 watching the status page to see if there's an issue. So taking all those, I think that that can help lead Pat in the direction of trying to determine whether it's your local, your airport freaking out or if uh, maybe you got to have a, have a talk with your uh, ISP. Yeah, I, I would, um, as kind of a first line of defense, and this is a geeky first line of defense. I would on the same machine where you're streaming your iTunes video, I would, uh, open up a terminal window and type ping space, apple.com now, uh, and then hit return. What ping does and we've talked about this before. It's a very simple utility. It sends a packet out to a server. And in this case, you're specifying apple.com. And then it returns. And then in theory, apple.com will return an answer to you um, that says, hey, oh, and apple.com is not responding to pings anymore. So uh, so try uh, Google does. OK, so try ping google.com. So uh it, it, you send out a request and in, by default, the app uh, ping sends out one request per second. And so you should just be getting responses back. What's handy here is you get to see sort of a real time uh, confirmation that you have access to that web server or that server. It doesn't have to be a web server, uh, which in, in and of itself is confirmation that you have access to resources out there on the Internet. That can be a really handy thing. You start that ping, run it in the background. When you see the video go black, bring up that terminal window and look and see, okay, were there gaps in the responses? Cause it will tell you request timed out uh, or you'll see it shows you the amount of time in milliseconds that this turnaround takes to happen. And if you see that number spike way up, then you also know, okay, I've had a little problem. It could be that the server on the other end has had a problem, but, uh, but, you know, if it if you're having that issue, OK, now, you know, you have a connectivity issue. Um, then the question would be to have a ping set up connecting not to a computer on the Internet, but a computer in your house, specifically your router. So that way, you know, uh, and you compare the two. And if you see uh, that a ping set up to your router fails at the same time that a ping to Google fails, then, you know, the problem is internal to your network. But if the ping to your router works while the ping to Google fails, then, you know, your your local network connection is good. But you do have some problem at the at the cable modem or, or DSL modem level that then gets you out there. And this is a great way to narrow that down. And it, I know ping is a geeky tool, but it's really not that geeky. It's five characters, including the space. So PPING space and then a server name and Google.com. I just tested it here. It works. It's a great way to uh, to narrow down where your network problems are, because this could be some issue with the Internet. It could be some issue among your network that's causing things to reset and then your video just stops. So that that's how I would start down this path before assuming that you have a, um, a DSL modem issue or, you know, a cable modem issue, some kind of uh, I would I would confirm internal connectivity. And uh, and you may, in fact, see that neither fails. So then, you know, your network is good. It's not your DSL modem. It's not your airport router. Then, then the question is, OK, what is it? What's causing these specific movies to fail? Um, and then that that's yet another path to head down. So that's what I would do. That's just me. Yeah. 
me being a geek. Actually, I would run. No, that's good. Between the two of us, we've provided the notification info as well as several tools you can use to try to narrow things down. I I will say the first thing that came to mind, and and uh, I'll I'll give credit to the chat room for echoing this and and enforcing my my belief in saying it, is a a piece of software called Nagios, N-A-G-I-O-S, used to be called NetSaint. And um, it's a command line based server monitoring tool, but uh, but you can use it to monitor your own network and it keeps a history for weeks and months. Um, it, it, it effectively you can set it up to do all kinds of things, but it effectively could do these pings, you know, once a minute and tell you uh, if you're seeing pings that fail for more than three minutes. You can set up all these parameters to, so that it notifies you, uh, but you have to have a computer running all the time to to do that. And, and it's fun. But uh but that, there you go. So I'll throw that out there for the for the super geeks that, that like to dig into that stuff. But ping, don't be afraid of ping. There's no way you can harm. I say there's no way. There's I may, I, is there any way? I don't know that you can harm anything with a ping. But uh, but you know, used used in the ways we've described here, you're good to go. So, and you don't even have to go to the terminal to type it in. That's true. So you can run. Is there is a, Apple provides a very nice GUI. To many of these commands, uh, lower level geeky commands, uh, and it's called network utility. And that actually has a ping tab, so you don't even have to type it in. Um, yeah, I don't think there's a... The, the only thing is ping, some servers may not... So you want to settle on uh, either a IP address or a name of something that accepts pings. Some servers may not respond to a ping for whatever reason, for security, or just they, they don't want to. But... Um, yeah, I think that's about all I got to say about that. And you have to say about that. I think so. Yeah, no, it's good. It's good. Uh, I do want to talk about our second sponsor here. This is Avatron uh, at Avatron.com slash MGG. So uh, we've talked about Avatron before. In fact, they've, they've made an appearance at least once, I think twice uh, in Cool Stuff Found. And then, of course, Cool Stuff Found reprise uh, with Air Display. Air Display is it's this cool app that lets you use your iPad as an extra screen for your Mac or Windows PC. And where this really comes in handy is if you're traveling, you've got your MacBook Air with you, you pull out your iPad and wirelessly uh, you're mirroring or extending your display uh, to your to your iPad. And I use this all the time because uh, when I'm traveling, it's super handy to have, uh, you know, my main workspace up on my air. And then maybe I have Skype or, or iMessage or messages, as we call it now, uh, you know, over on on the external, the, the second display. Really, really handy stuff. So uh, so check it out. You can you can learn all about that at uh, at avatron.com slash MGG. And uh, it's cool. You, you can, you know, it, it's awesome. Grab your MacBook Air. Grab your iPad, head to a coffee shop or something, and uh, and now you've got two screens as long as you have enough room on the table. And that, and you know, it's awesome. It's good stuff. I like it. Um, I also want to talk. Did you have a? Uh, do you have a, a comment about Air Display? Do you use that, John? No. You don't have an iPad, right? Okay, yeah. Um, so that that's Air Display. Avatron. Uh, of course, not to uh, sit idly by and and just rest on their laurels for the awesome app of Air Display. 
is working on something new, and it's called Every Disc. Uh, and it's about to go into beta, and you can get access to this beta by visiting avatron.com slash macgeekgab. So that that's the secret link for the beta uh, to get on the list for the beta. They're not quite ready to push it out yet. But Every Disc is pretty cool. They're, they've got a video on their site. They 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 funded it as a Kickstarter, but... Um, but but and it's funded uh, and they're working on it. So the beta is is coming soon. The idea is that every disk will be uh, a Mac app and then an iOS app and, and a Windows app and all that uh, that gives you full direct access to all of your computers from anywhere you are. And uh, it to me, it's sort of like back to my Mac done right. Um, you launch every disk and then all your computers just appear in the finder, just as if you'd plugged in those, you know, computers, discs with firewire USB. And, uh, you get to see everything on this computer. It's not like Dropbox where you have to think ahead of time and put stuff into a folder that you want to sync. This is everything on that computer. And not only do you get to see the stuff on that particular computer, you get to see everything that it's connected to. So network servers, other printers, Dropbox folders, all of that good stuff. And you have all of your storage right there um, accessible over the internet. So check this out. Yeah. Avatron.com slash Mac geek gab is where you go to, uh, to learn about and get signed up for that beta. And then Avatron.com slash MGG will teach you all about air display. So, uh, so check it out. And we're very happy to have Avatron on board as a Mac geek gab sponsor. Cause that's good stuff. All right, John. Uh, you want to awesome. take us? You want to take us to Michael? Uh, let me do that. Can you do that? Would that be good? I think I think Michael would be a good uh, a good place to go. Ah, okay. Before no, I was I was just chuckling because uh, I remember a Monty Python sketch about uh, the machine that goes ping. Oh yes, <laughs> of that? course. The, doc, the administrator shows up in the operating room and he's like, "Ah, oh, I see you have the machine that goes ping," and that was like the most important thing. To him, you know, he's like, Ugh. all right, <laughs> that was a different ping. That's a, di- that's that's a different it ping. Just, it just pinged. All right. So uh, Michael writes, I'm in the process of starting to migrate my early 2008 15-inch MacBook Pro. Wow. That's the same machine you and I have, Dave. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Um, my daughter uses it. That's right. Yeah. Yeah. All right. But it sounds like um, Michael has decided it's time to upgrade to a nice new late 2013 15-inch Retina MacBook Pro. boy. And here's the thing. Over the years, the old MacBook Pro has accumulated a lot of stuff that, while it may have been interesting five years ago, I do not want it going on to the new Mac. The migration assistant does not offer the fine-grained control that I would like to have. Also, while I have a full backup of the old MacBook Pro, it would seem to me that the backup and restore approach likewise would pull in extra noise as well. So, any recommendations? Absolutely. Dave, I think the way to deal with this is to use one of our favorite tools, and that's to use the Finder's Advanced Search to help purge some of the cruft. And so here's what you can do. So, um, this is the approach I recommended. So first, I hope that uh, Michael took a structured approach to storing his documents and that they are all stored in the documents folder because that's uh, what I'm going to base my recommendation on. 
Okay. Okay. Hopefully he doesn't have things spread all over the desktop, which I, I've seen on some people's systems. So ho- hopefully he, he had some level of organization here. But first, what I would do is click on your documents folder, which you should see in your sidebar. Then you press Command F. That will then bring up the uh, advanced uh, search in the finder. Then at the top of the screen, you're going to click on documents um, just to, again, focus it on that folder. And then below that, you're going to see some of the criteria that uh, can be applied to the search. And it's initially going to default. I think that the only thing you're going to see there um, or should see there is kind is any. And what I would recommend, and he may want to tweak this, but, the, you know, there's a, a way to start to see if it does what he wants. Try to change the kind to document. And what's going to happen is it's going to start listing all of uh, what is considered a document. That's why I'm saying you may want to tweak this search because there's some other categories under kind. I think you can list text. You can list some other things here, but, but to start with documents, see if that does what you need. Then what you're going to see, and then you're going to see a number of uh, columns for, for the uh, you know, criteria like name and kind and stuff like that. And what I would suggest is if you control click on the column labels, you're going to see an additional one called date created. And I think that's probably as good a criteria as any to determine how old the document is, whether it's five years old or older than five. That sounds like it's cutoff here. And then at that point, you're going to get a list of whole documents, and then you can sort by the date created. And then at that point, uh, you know, click on the first one, uh, scroll to the last one, you know, within that time frame that you uh, want to remove things, and then do shift click. That's a way to uh, select a range within the finder. And then you can do what you want with those documents. Maybe drag them to a uh, folder. Um, you can't archive them. I would have liked that option, but when I right-clicked, it didn't give an option to archive them because that, that would be what I would do is just to save them just in case. You never know if you need them. So you could drag them over to the trash or drag them to a folder. Um, that's my take, Dave. Um, I don't know if you have an a alternative or, or anything to add to that, but that's... that. That'd be how I try to purge the documents that are older than five years old. Yeah. It's assuming it's documents that, that Michael's worried about. I agree. Uh, I, I read that a little bit differently, but, but I totally, but that's, I mean, that's, that's the, that's the, the way interpretation goes. I, I assumed he didn't want all the old preference files and all of that stuff that, uh, that he, that he accumulated five years before. So you would take this exactly, you know, the same formula, and apply it to say the home library preferences folder or the home uh, library application support folder and just bring in those things that you want to the analog on the new machine. Uh, But, but that's because I'm a pack rat with documents. I feel like any document I've ever created, uh, if I've put it in my documents folder, I want to keep that. Uh, Whereas old preferences from an app that I installed once five years ago that are sitting out there that are going to migrate with me with migration assistant to every new Mac, that stuff I actually don't need and, and don't want. And that would be a great way to clean that stuff out too. So exactly the same workflow just applied to a different folder. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. It's good. I had an interesting uh, question this morning, John, that I found on our Google plus uh, community page. Uh, Graham writes, he said, uh, he was using, let's see, he said, uh, I was using team viewer to upload a large file over a slow connection to a client's machine. 
I set the upload in progress and then switched to doing something else. After a a few minutes, I noticed via iStat menus that the upload rate had dropped to near zero. I switched back to TeamViewer and immediately the upload rate goes back to what is expected. With a bit of testing, it would seem that if I keep the transfer window visible, not even in the front, but just visible on my screen, I can stop this drop off from happening. This leads me to think that the issue is caused by Maverick's power saving feature called AppNap. Does this mean that the team viewer people have to recode their app to prevent the power saving from kicking in? Or is it a feature of Mavericks that can't be avoided? Uh, so it, this, I'm certain you're right, Graham, uh, because of, because of the way this works, uh, and because of what you figured out, it's that if it's visible, it's running, if it's hidden, it gets napped. That's what, that's how Mavericks, uh, decides that's the criteria it uses. So, uh, you can control this on a per app basis, or at least you should be able to go into the finder. Go into the applications folder, assuming that's where you have this app installed, highlight the app, go to get info, and you will see an option uh, to enable or disable AppNap for that particular application. And so in this case, uh, you would disable AppNap and then sitting in the background, it would uh, it would still run now, unfortunately, and that that's true of most apps, unfortunately, in this situation, Graham tried that and. Team viewer version nine does not have that checkbox, although team viewer version eight does. Uh, presumably, this means that the team viewer folks coded their app to sort of take care of the app nap preferences inside of the app and either didn't expose that to the user and have screwed it up. Or perhaps it is in the preferences of that particular app. But check the finder first, then check the app's preferences. And then if it doesn't work, ask the app developer, why did you not let me do this? Because that's, uh, especially in this case, that's a really handy feature. So thanks, Graham. Thanks for uh, asking the question. The Google Plus page is a uh, community page. is awesome because it allows us all to kind of take part in these ongoing discussions. So I love it. I love it. I love it. And uh, Graham's in the chat room, too. So it's, it's awesome. Big happy family here today. All right, John. Cliff has a... Uh, has a question, a bit of a follow-up question, but also sort of a standalone question. He says, uh, with all the discussion you've had about NAS devices, I've been considering getting one. My needs for media streaming are very modest, but having the ability to sync uh, a la Dropbox between my three active Macs and the ability to have network time machine backups would be wonderful. I'm thinking a Synology uh, DS213J or DS214SE would seem to make sense for me, But before going down that road, I've wondered about another option. Call it the Yankee alternative. How about repurposing a beat up but functioning 2007 MacBook I have to function as a NAS? After all, it has a capable processor, lots of memory and a gigabit Ethernet port and various configurations of hard drives could be attached. My thought was to attach uh, an external drive I have and uh, attach the MacBook uh, via Ethernet to my gigabit router and then find some capable syncing software. assuming there is third-party software out there that can more or less duplicate the functionality of Dropbox. My questions, would this work? Would I need to have OS X server installed to do this properly? And will the MacBook work with the lid closed but no monitor attached? Can Time Machine work reliably in this sort of setup? Or is the whole idea, as Mr. John F. Braun would say, just crazy talk? So, several questions to answer here. 
the biggest one is the software. There is a piece of software called OwnCloud, O-W-N-C-L-O-U-D, and it's uh, it's uh, open source, or I think it's open source, uh, but it's certainly available for free. And there are client uh, apps for the Mac, for Windows, for iOS, um, and then there's server apps available. And OwnCloud has a lot of things in it. It has calendars in it. It has contact sharing in it, but it also has a... Uh, a document folder syncing thing analogous to Dropbox or Transporter or, or, you know, Synology's cloud station, all of that stuff is there. Um, however, I have seen, and I don't know if this is fixed. I was doing some research trying to figure this out, but uh, the server software, there was some Unicode issue that Apple introduced in OS 10 a year ago that rendered own cloud server dangerous to run on the Mac. And therefore it was not able to be run on the Mac. I I'm not sure that that has gone away. They don't offer downloads for the Mac anymore, but they do offer a tarball of a file that you could in theory download to the Mac and run. So that would be the first thing to test out is to see if you can get own cloud working. Other than that, I don't know, and maybe you do, John, of any software for the Mac that has that whole client server uh, Dropbox-esque fun- functionality, but but yet still does it as personal cloud. Do, do you off the top of your head or based on any research you've done? Mm, how about Dropbox? <laughs> well, no, Dropbox doesn't let you run the server on your Mac. I uh, no, I get it. Okay, no, right. I, I haven't really looked into uh, those solutions. Yeah, it just doesn't exist. Um, but but own cloud is it? That's that's the only one I know of. Uh, so it, that's worth checking out. If in fact, and and you could run Linux on this machine instead of OS ten, and then if or you know, and then or or run boot camp on it, and then you can run own cloud server inside that. So that certainly would be uh, doable, although. Each of those comes with their own caveats, of course. Uh, once you've got you know, that, go ahead, John. Well, maybe you're going to address this, but the one question here, which I'm scratching my head over because I haven't really tried it, is uh, will the MacBook work with the lid closed but no monitor attached? I believe it will if you connect an external keyboard and wake it up with that keyboard. Uh, that would need to be tested too, but I am 99% certain that works. But, um, but please do correct me if I'm wrong. Uh, but I, I, I thought that that was possible. If you're connected to the, the network, uh, you could, you could wake it up and run it in lid closed mode without a monitor attached. So that's, I mean, I did find an article. Um, so they have something known as clamshell mode. Yep. And if you have an external monitor that you could turn it off, uh, then the machine will operate in that way. So he may need to, if, if he, you know, wants to shut off the uh, external or internal display uh, may have to close the lid and hook up a, uh, you know, just a cheap monitor there so that uh, it will be a week. Yes. I'm guessing. Yeah. Yeah. That would yeah, definitely work. Yeah. I'll paste that in there. Okay. Yeah, they talk about this. There are also some heat concerns, I think with clan shell mode, you want to make sure you got, um, make sure you ventilate, you know, the machine. Well, you know, especially a portable. Yeah. Uh, although they are built to be run in clamshell mode. Oh, yeah. 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 I'm just saying, just make sure, you know, you don't put it under a blanket or, or something like that. Potential is there for it to overheat. Again, just make sure, you know, maybe put it on a on a stand or something like that. Just make sure it, it can get good ventilation because, yeah, there, there are the fans in there. Yep. 
So I found a, uh, a, a forum thread at, at Mac, Mac rumors that, uh, that talks about using a piece of software called insomnia, uh, to keep your MacBook or MacBook pro awake with the lid closed without an external display. And, huh. uh, so there you go. Nice work. Yep. Yep. Um, my only other concern in this case, Dave, would be only having a um, only having a single drive. Well, he he was going to connect drives via USB, and 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 he went through. Uh, yeah, right. I mean, he, that's what he said. Well, he said a drive. I, I guess my only. Um, okay, no, I guess my only concern here is uh, my uh, my only. Concern is that you know when when I think NAS, I think redundancy. Though that's not always the case. Definitely not. Not with not with transporter. It's not. Yeah. No. I get. I get it. Yeah. But you know, with some of the other devices we like, like uh, you know, Drobo and uh, my only concern would be if you're going to be using the Mac for this, my only concern would be having a single point of failure, hmm. which is would be the case with the transporter or any device that is a single drive. So uh, you can, uh, you know, plug in external drives and uh, disutility will let you set up a raid like um, a raid like setup, or I, I believe there's still third party software that'll let you uh, do, do the whole raid thing. So that, I wouldn't, that, that would I wouldn't only... do a raid with you can, but I wouldn't do a raid with two separate external drives because if one of them gets detached, which is very easy to do with external drives, you're hosed. Uh, you you effectively still have a, you know a a single point of of if not failure then massive headache um, because you rebuilding that raid gets very difficult. I I would have two drives and run a daily clone between the two of them or or something hmm. like that, right? So that so that you've got your data okay. in multiple places, but you're not creating that that potentially disastrous scenario. Yeah. Okay. No, that's a good. Um yeah, and like I'm even doing this on my mini. So have a uh, yeah, get carbon copy cloner, schedule yeah. a uh, you know daily backup to another drive, even uh, hourly. Again, I, I, you know, yeah, right. Uh, I do I do weekly actually, but yeah, wh- whatever works for you. Right. But um, yeah, my only concern would be that if that drive dies, that you don't lose everything. Yeah. Well, and and as uh, as folks in the chat room are pointing out, the um, if if all you're using it for is uh, a is Dropbox esque functionality where you're syncing data. Uh, in theory, your computers would all have all that data as well as your server. Right. And, you know, I, I, that's still not a backup. That's a that's the same data everywhere because deletes are synced as well. So, you know, bear that in mind. Good stuff. I like this, John. This is good. We should do this every week. <laughs> uh, At least. At least. Well, we've been keeping up for that. We're pretty yeah. much keeping up with that. I know. Which reminds me, we're we're slowly approaching the big five oh oh. I know. That's pretty cool. Or something. Yeah. Yeah, I was thinking about it. We're gonna do a show on March twenty eighth at uh, I believe two PM Pacific time at uh on the show floor the 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 stage that Paul mentioned in the interview we did with him. We're we're on that on that Friday at two PM. Uh, a 45 minute show. So it will be a short Mac geek by, uh, by today's standards. Uh, I don't know if we'll be able to stream it to those of you that aren't there. I will try. And if we can, we will. Um, but, uh, but we will certainly record it and release it 
but uh, I was I was thinking, how could we do extra shows between now and then to make that show number 500? Uh, I don't think that's going to work, but uh, but we're getting there. Yeah, which is cool. Uh, it's uh, it's very exciting. It's good stuff. What's next? Uh, let's see. You, do you want to talk about the Shannon thing, John? Yeah, I think that's a that's a quick one. The, yeah, you know, I have heard uh, multiple people mention this um, and what I suggest may not work, but it can't hurt. Right. So um, Shannon writes and says, I'm a new listener. Welcome, Shannon. Um, and tolerates our show so far <laughs> and has an early 2013 15 inch MacBook Pro Retina running the latest version of Mavericks. Uh, and this is uh, Shannon's first uh, Apple computer. Awesome. I've had it since October 2013 with no problems until recently, the last week or so. When I open the lid to wake it up, the Wi Fi is disconnected and I have to turn Wi Fi off and then back on before it will connect. I've done a little research on the web and it looks like I'm not alone here. I have made sure PowerNap was on and I also set a new profile in settings. Both were suggested from the web to no avail. Hopefully you guys can help me. I hope we can too. Here's my suggestion, Dave. Yes. Maybe you have more. So uh, what you may want to do is look at your preferred networks list. And where is this? Well, if you go to system preferences, network, Wi-Fi, and then advanced, you're going to see, and you may see a lot of things here, depending on how your system is set up. You, you may see uh, more than one thing listed here. Um, I have quite a few in mind. Uh, I should really kind of clear it out. But um, what this is, is the order in which the Mac will uh, attempt to connect to uh, Wi-Fi base stations that you may have connected to in the past. So the first thing you want to do is make sure that yours is on top and you can change the order so that would be the first thing I would try and see if that helps matters because it's going to try, you know, to go through all of them. And if there's a lot, it, it may time out. Um, if that doesn't work, then um, deleting it from the list or maybe clearing out the entire list if you don't need anything there. So maybe getting rid of entries that are in the preferred network list uh, would be an option. And then when you add it back, uh, typically you will see a checkbox saying, remember this network. So, so you, it could be that that list is screwed up somehow. So by clearing it out and then starting fresh, that may also help. So those are the two suggestions that I have, Dave. Yeah. I don't know if that list is re it is, it spans locations, right? Because, uh, Shannon said, uh, he or she, I don't know if, uh, Shannon's male or female, uh, Put a new, uh, what did Shannon say? They have created a new profile. And I assume by that uh, you mean a new location in the network preferences uh, pane. And those can be handy. I don't know if the Wi-Fi networks span across those. They might. I, I seem to recall them doing that. I haven't tested it in Mavericks yet. Um, but another way to, uh, or another thing to try if that doesn't work is to delete your Wi-Fi connection from the network preferences, right? System preferences network, uh, highlight Wi-Fi, and then hit the minus uh, thing at the bottom left of the screen. That will remove Wi-Fi entirely from your Mac. It doesn't remove it physically, of course, but it does remove the, um, the, the software profile for it. So uh, then you add a new one in by saying um, uh, hit the plus button. And create and choose Wi-Fi from the list and set up a Wi-Fi, and uh, and there you go. 
And that, that might do it too. I've, I've seen this though. And I'm thinking that 1092 might have some stuff to fix that as well. So make sure you're up to date that, that, that might solve this problem for you because you're not alone. Other, others have reported this too. So our friend Peter reported this and it seems to be specific to the retina because I think he also has yeah. a, a fairly recent retina machine. And for some reason, the only people that are running into this are people that are running Mavericks on a MacBook Pro retina. So I don't know if it's an issue with the you know, driver for the Wi-Fi or, or, or if they introduced a bug recently in the OS, who, who knows? Who knows? Yeah, right. Right. Yeah, it's it's new stuff. And, and you know, they, they're usually pretty good about staying on top of it. But uh, but not in this case. Or maybe they are. Maybe maybe 1092 fixes that. Um, all right. Brandon has uh, an interesting question that I well, I think our quick solution will work for. Uh, he says, I recently upgraded my 2012 MacBook Pro running Mavericks. Uh, and I moved the original 720 gig hard drive uh, to the optical bay using OWC's data doubler. And then I installed a uh, OWC 240 gig Mercury Extreme Pro SSD drive as my main drive. Incredible performance boost. He says, but that's another story. As part of my ongoing backup scheme, I'm using an external three terabyte USB drive with two partitions. One is a 750 gig partition for my daily carbon copy clone, and the remainder of the drive is an ongoing time machine backup. I have the same setup at work at home, which covers my offsite backup requirements. Uh, he says, with the new uh, laptop setup, I set up my external USB drive, so uh, it now has three partitions, as he said. He said, the problem is, I want to encrypt my external drives this time around, something that I've been negligent to do originally. No problems in doing that. I've got File Vault set up for my external boot clone and an encrypted volume for my other clone and time machine is encrypted as well. The problem I'm having is uh, that the original setup that I'd done geekily in the terminal using uh, the FS tab file is no longer working in keeping my carbon copy cloner volumes from auto mounting. No matter what I set says, I think this has something to do with the fact that they're now encrypted. He said, I've tried all kinds of things and, uh, and it has not worked. And then he goes through all the all the stuff that he found in uh, in Discutil uh, from the command line, and and it is interesting when you when you dig into that um, it, when a volume's encrypted, it it's it's actually encapsulated several different times and in several different ways. So it does get sort of confusing. He says, but the the thing is, uh, my OCD self needs to be happy with a clean desktop. The drive's only appearing when a backup is in progress. Uh, and not any other time. He says, this works great for my time machine volume, but I can't get it to work for my carbon copy clone. So the trick is, um, I've tried this too. And I, for other reasons, I, I had this issue before I even started encrypting things. Uh, every time you updated the OS or something happened, this terminal trick, or not terminal trick, but the, this thing of using the Unix FS tab file, which is the file system, um, a list of things you can, and you can go in there and set stuff to mount or not mount. The, the problem is that winds up getting reset by OS 10 all the time and can cause all sorts of problems. So I've skinned this cat another way. And if you have a volume that you don't want to mount at boot, and frankly, I don't think you want your carbon copy cloner or super duper clones to be mounted any other time than you are actually backing up to or restoring from them because you don't want, your Mac to get confused and pull a file from the clone. Remember it is a clone. 
So you may not know that you're opening an application or worse, a document from your clone that's now going to get blown away the next time you run a clone. You don't want those mounted. And I've turned to AppleScript for this solution. Um, AppleScript is really powerful. And it will put this uh, script in the show notes, but it's a three line script. It is a try uh, and then end try. I've wrapped this in a try. And the, the script is just do shell script and then disk util unmount. And then the volume name uh, or the volume path, which is slash volume slash path. And that's it. Uh, and I put that Apple script in my login items so that when my Mac turns on, the volume automatically mounts as the Mac is want to do. And then this Apple script runs, unmounts it. And then I let, for in my case, super duper manage mounting the volume, which it will do. And uh, and then ejecting the volume when it's finished with the backup. And that works brilliantly and it stays outside of all of the kind of under the hood Unix stuff that Apple uh, sometimes resets on your behalf. So this lives inside the Apple environment. So that that's how I solve that problem. And and it, it has worked over many OS updates. So there you go. Thoughts on that, John? Do you leave your clone mounted? Um. A uh, carbon copy cloner takes care of that for me. But how about after you reboot? Is it, it do you leave it mounted until your first backup happens? Yes. Okay. Well, sometimes if I notice it mounted, yeah, because I prefer it not to be mounted. If yeah. It doesn't need to be. Then yeah, then I'll I'll unmount it manually. Um, well, you're, but yeah, you're, your suggestion is is good. You're welcome to use my uh, my little script here to uh, to solve your problems for you. Uh, I could do that. And, you know, I think I've uh, and I think you, you can also swing this in uh, automator. Uh, I think you could also write an automator action to. Uh, yeah, yeah, you certainly could do this. I think at one point I did that for a server volume that I, I didn't want mounted. Yep. Um, and, and I couldn't quite figure out how to uh, or I wanted to on demand unmount it. And, you know, of course, you could right click on it. But uh, yeah, I was. A, oh, no, I, I remember so, someone had a question about how could I schedule a drive to be uh, unmounted? And I think my solution was you create an automator action and then you can schedule it via iCal was my oh, solution. Ah. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Now calendar, right? Well, what do they call it this week? Calendar. It's calendar. Yeah. And I think right. you can still do that. I think you can set up a recurring event that ties to a automator action or an Apple script. Yeah. I'll have to revisit that. Yeah. All right, John, one last thing before we, uh, before we go here, I have a, a bit of what I think is a geek challenge. If you know the answer, then, then that's even better. Uh, or if anybody in the chat room. So uh, Michael writes, he says, I've been trying to find a secure way of syncing a folder to an encrypted disk image that, that I could then store off site, say Dropbox or Google drive or something it says, I would like to sync the sync to take place on a particular schedule daily, weekly, etc. Do you have any suggestions for an application that would be able to reliably perform this task? So the question is, do we, how do we, Take a folder. What software out there will let us take a folder and uh, archive it to an encrypted disk image on a regular basis? My initial thought is Chronosync, and I, I sent out uh, a note to them asking. Uh, I couldn't quite tell if Chronosync would do this, and, and I, frankly, I ran out of time prepping the show to, to try it myself. But, uh, but I figured that's what, that's what Geek Challenge is here for. So does anyone know of something that would solve this? Uh, there's got to be some way out there. Hopefully, something simple. John, do you, uh, off the top of your head, do you know? 
I'm looking here and I'm wondering if you could use Automator. I do see, I see they have a mount disk image dialog. I don't know if it prompts for the password, which is typically part of an encrypted disk image, right? Huh. Uh, I would have to see if that's a, uh, if that's an option. I'm not sure if it is. Yeah. Yeah. It's an interesting, it's an interesting question. So, uh, you may so, be able to piece together. Yeah, yeah. So check Automator. That that may have um, okay. That may have all the actions that you need to. Because uh, I see it has yeah, copy finder items, uh, things like that. So you may be able to. Yeah. So it'd be two operations. One would be copy finder items, perhaps, and then maybe mount or mount disk image and copy finder items, and uh, that may do it for you. That may do it. Uh, and and you said the mount disk image thing appears to not care if it's I, encrypted. Don't know. Okay. So okay. may not, because again, that the, from what I recall, that that's part of uh, an encrypted image is you got a password that encrypts it. Right. So, uh, right. So I don't know. I'll, I'll have to uh, experiment with that. Yeah. 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 Interesting. I like it. It's a good. All right. We'll have to, we'll head down that path. Send us your, uh, send us your thoughts on that. And in fact, if you have thoughts on that or thoughts on really anything uh, that we've talked about or a question that you'd like answered, Shoot us an email. Feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Oh, I'm going to have to wag my finger at you, Dave. Because <laughs> last I checked, it's feedback at MacGeekGab.com. Yeah, that's uh, that's feedback at MacGeekGab.com. You can send us email to that uh, text, pictures, videos, console logs, whatever you want to send us. We're happy to get it. And, winter uh, storms. Winter storms. You're getting one of those today? I think. <laughs> Maybe. Yeah. I think it's starting right. tonight and uh, Monday's going to be uh, 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 bumper cars. Hey, uh, I might have an answer for this. Big T in the chat room suggested Knox from uh, from Agile Bits, the same folks that make one password. This creates encrypted vaults, uh, each that have separate passwords, and then uh, you can schedule automatic backups to those encrypted vaults. And I think you can put those vaults wherever you want, and that might do it. So, uh, so we'll put that in the show notes. That that could that could be the simple answer, one stop shop. But if you have another idea, share it with us too. And if you're a premium member, you can send that email to premium at macgeekab.com. And if you want to learn about being a premium member, visit macgeekab.com, and there's a link right there to tell you all about it. We certainly do appreciate all of you who uh, who support us directly and indirectly. It's uh, it all helps make this thing work. We're really really appreciate it how else john so many options uh facebook.com slash mac geek app is uh where you can say a whole bunch of things uh we typically schedule uh the next show or put a notification as soon as we can figure out when the show is going to be so you can look there for that um i post when i've uh, polished up the uh the show notes on the facebook um so that's a place to go where else uh, you can visit us. Well, you can visit us on Twitter at twitter.com slash MacGeekGab to see the show notes. Uh, and the, and just uh, we actually answer some questions there, too. So that's fun. You can find him at John F. Braun on Twitter. I'm Dave Hamilton on Twitter. Pilot Pete was in the chat room today. He's Pilot Pete on Twitter. Of course, Mac Observer has all the headlines from TMO. Good thing to follow. If, uh, if you want to know what's going on and keep up with uh, not everything or uh, not just everything that's going on with the Mac world, but also all the tips and great stuff that we publish there all week long as well. 
Yeah. I even published something this week. You did. It was a good thing. Yeah. It was actually yeah. really nice to have somebody explain this uh, this SSL exploit that's not quite an exploit correctly. Thank you for that. Uh, it's, uh, yeah, it's, uh, well, heck, you, you'll, you'll find the article. There you um, go. Yeah. It was what the go-to fail means to you, I believe, is the title. If you Google for that, uh, it should be at the top of your list, which is uh, kind of shocking. That's, that's as it should be. That's not shocking. That's how we do things here. <laughs> All right. And uh, you can find the show notes at MacGeekab.com as well. As we mentioned in the show, we have our Google Plus community. We'll put a link there in the show notes to that, too. Join us there. It's a great place to, uh, to have sort of the ongoing between-show conversations. Anything else we uh, we have to to say here, John? Hmm. All right. Well, then we're going to thank Michael Johnston from We Have Communicators and uh, GetAppler.com. Michael, of course, converts this show to AAC and adds all of the chapters and all of that good stuff for us and for you. We love it. Thank you, Michael. You are awesome. Uh, the folks at Cashfly, C-A-C-H-E-F-L-Y dot com. Uh, send uh, send the show from us to you. They provide all the bandwidth to get us there, and they're good folks, too. So thank you very much for being you and doing what you do, folks, at Cashfly. In addition, we'd like to thank, of course, Smile with Text Expander, as we talked about here, Barebones with BB Edit, Gazelle.com, sell all your stuff, Squarespace.com slash MGG, Connected Data, and, uh, and now Avatron at avatron.com slash MGG for air display and avatron.com slash MacGeekGab for your every disc beta. All through Backbeat Media. John, I started the show. You want to end it? You want to give them maybe that, that one lasting piece of advice that we all need to, to get us through the week? I certainly hope so. And the, the piece of lasting advice that we offer you is don't get caught. Yeah. Made up.